everyone to the Campbell's Footballs podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Grant Campbell, as always. Now, I'm absolutely delighted uh, to be joined for this episode of the show by a really high-profile guest. Uh, this woman has done amazing things um, for her country. Um, she's been absolutely fantastic for Liverpool's women, and she's very much uh, delightful, delighted on the show. She is Northern Ireland's all-time record goal scorer, Rachel Furness. Rachel, a warm welcome to the show. Thank you. No, thank you for having us. It's great to have you on. Um, how has 2022 started off for you? Because last year, for yourself, for Northern Ireland, was just simply magical, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's going to be really hard to top last year. But I think with the exciting year coming up that Northern Ireland have got, um, well, basically for club and country, the exciting year we've got coming up, um, I'm hoping it's just as good. But... 2022 has started off very well um, on a club front. We're, Liverpool are currently top of the league in the championship and we're hoping to get promoted back into the WSL this season. So, you know, it's we've had a good start to this year um, and I hope it continues. Um, but yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to meeting up with the Northern Ireland squad in, in the next couple of weeks for preparation for our World Cup qualifiers coming up and then the Euros following on that. And the World Cup qualifying campaign, Rachel, has been very good to keep an eye on because you'll be playing against a couple of the teams in the Euros as well. So you'll get a bit of an idea as to how those guys are going to set up against you. Yeah, it's, it's good to, I guess... Look at the opposition you're you're coming up against, and it, it then takes away the nerves of it's not it's not new to us, it's not a surprise, and you know we've got great coaching staff behind us to to help us prepare for these massive games. So, you know, a few people have maybe said that the World Cup qualifiers would be a warm up for the European Championships, but for us, the World Cup qualifiers is a a great chance to to potentially make history again and hopefully make a qualifier, sorry, make a playoff for the World Cup qualifiers, for the World Cup, sorry. So for us, um, it's very much the World Cup qualifiers are in the front of our mind at the minute and we're very focused on that. And, you know, yeah, it's great preparation for the whole year ahead, but we're hoping to do great things in, in the qualifiers coming up. And I mentioned in my introduction there, Rachel, that you have just surpassed David Healy as Northern Ireland's all-time record goal scorer. Do you have to pinch yourself when people tell you that? Yeah, you know, it's it's a great personal achievement for myself. It's it's a one that I've worked hard my whole entire career to to achieve something like that. But for me, um, the biggest kind of accomplishment um over this last couple of years is how well the team have have adjusted and how well we we've done on the pitch and you know for a a record to come with that is fantastic and that just shows how far we've come as a team that the girls are assisting me with these goals you know I don't just run past 11 women on the pitch and score individually it's 
it's a collective team effort. So yes, it's a fantastic achievement. And I hope that I can score many more goals for my country. But, you know, for me, it, it just shows how far the, the team have come. And I guess it shows how far individually I've come to overcome what I've overcome in the past to, to still be putting on the green shirt and to still be putting goals in the back of the net. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about a lot of this throughout the show because, you know, I think so many people, not just in Northern Ireland, but out with certainly myself here in Scotland, have really tagged on and really uh, enjoyed seeing the progress that Northern Ireland's women have made over the last few years, not just months. It's just simply been a phenomenal journey. Well, we'll come on to talk about that straight at the show. But, but Rachel, it's great to have you on. It's an absolute privilege to chat to a Northern Irish legend. It's just absolutely fantastic. The first question I always like to kind of start off when I ask my guests onto the show is, how did you get into football from a young age? What was your route in at the start? Well, I'm a, I was born in the Northeast. Um, you know, my, my mom was from, from Northern Ireland. My, my grandparents were from Northern Ireland, but I was born in the Northeast. And if anybody knows the Northeast, it, it lives and breathes football. Um, so from a very young age, um, I had two older brothers and I just wanted to be like my older brother. So I was kind of that annoying little sister that would follow my brother about and just ask to, to join in and, and kick a ball about. And I think very quickly my brother realised I was actually quite good at it and kind of got a bit annoyed when his friends were knocking on the door and asking for me to go out and kick the ball about um, rather than him so yeah it's I live and breathe football and from a very young age it's been a massive part of my life um, and it's just it's in the blood it's a part of me and yeah it's it's something that has you know captured my heart from a from a very young age so do any of your brothers play competitive football themselves? No, um, my brothers stopped quite young, to be fair. Um, and I was kind of the, the only one in the family that carried it on. Um, my dad at the time obviously wanted his sons to, to play football, but he slowly come around to that. I was quite talented and I was, I was good at it. I loved it and... I didn't need to be pushed into it at all. It was just something that come natural and it's something that I wanted to pursue. So, you know, I, I continued that on myself and it, it helped us in everyday life um, on and yep. off the pitch. And it's, it's shaped us to be the person I am today. And you mentioned there about the northeast and that area of England, um, Newcastle, Sunderland, up that neck of the woods. And I've been to Newcastle and they just love their football. They bleed it throughout. And I've got friends who listen to the show that come from that neck of the woods. It's just such a phenomenal area of the UK, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm still on a high off Newcastle's result last night. <laughs> um, you know, it, it really does, you know... I've grown up supporting Newcastle, being a diehard fan, and um, you know, and I will get into it in a bit. But I have represented Sunderland for a lot of my career, um, but yeah, like football can can change moods. It can it can make weekends. It can make people's whole weeks just just for one result. So it's massive in the northeast, and, and anyone in and around that area will know how 
how important it is for the whole area, for for the for people's moods, for how people even are with each other. It's it's massive, and you know, it's obviously it's a, it's a fantastic sport, and it, it's a one that I've had and still continue to have so many great memories with. And Newcastle and the Northeast has so many kind of football idols and legends over time. People like Alan Shearer is a great example. When I ask people about inspirations and idols, I'm taking it he must be one of those. <laughs> yes, he was. Um, obviously, the women's game is getting getting bigger now, and it, it's great that you know I've got little girls coming to me, and I'm their role model. I'm someone that they look up to. But me as a young girl, I, I didn't have that. Um, when I was growing up, so Alan Shearer was my was and still is um, a big inspiration to me. He was my hero growing up, and I'd score goals and celebrate like Alan Shearer. Um, you know, it's just I guess everyone in the northeast did that, but he was a massive you know motivation to me growing up as a little girl, as as well as my granddad. Um, that was two massive role models for me um, growing up, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I loved. I'm a Manchester United fan, so I should say that off the bat. But I love, I love, uh, I, I I love the story of Newcastle, and I still have a big soft spot for Newcastle because of their history and their heritage, and their fans just packs in James's Park every Saturday. It's fantastic to see. Yeah, it's 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 the passion that we have, and you know. I'll support Newcastle win, lose, or draw. I've supported Newcastle all through the the Championship, Premier League. If you support Newcastle, you support them regardless. And you've just got to see in the Championship, I was one of the 52,000 that was in St James's singing my head off. And yeah, it's the passion that, I mean, I have such passion supporting Newcastle and that, that, that really resides in me as, as a person as well. The, the passion I have just for the game um, yep. is massive. And that was obviously instilled into me as, as a young girl. And it's something that I've, I've kept throughout my career. And it's fantastic to hear that there are so many young people on the street that are coming up to you and saying that you're their inspiration, which is fantastic to hear as well, Rachel. And it's it's great to hopefully see that even more increased moving forward. And I just wanted to catch on a little bit more about when you were playing football at a young age. How was that looked upon all those years ago? Because, you know, women's football now, you know, has certainly gone in a really positive exponential trajectory, increased. But back then, wasn't there as much opportunity, shall we say? Do you know what? There wasn't a lot of opportunities um, for young girls to play football as... I remember being the only girl in my in my school team and I made history with that, which is crazy to think of it now. Um, I was the first girl to play for my local district and because I, I, I'd grown up, I'd grown up around young boys playing football. I didn't know the girls played football and it, it's, it's, you know, it's funny to, to actually say that now, but when I think I was 12, 13, and I got told I couldn't play for my local boys team anymore, I, it wasn't allowed. I didn't quite understand. You know, I'm a young girl. I was just playing football with my friends. I just thought that was normal. Yeah. Um, and my school teacher at the time actually drove me to, to a local girls team. And 
I remember when I had trials, I felt really uncomfortable. I felt out of my comfort zone. It wasn't what I was used to. It wasn't the norm. I didn't understand that other girls played football. So at first it was it was a big adjustment. Um, you know, I think I shared a lot of tears that I wasn't able to play football with my best friends who were boys at the time. Um, and that I had to travel half hour just just to just to play in a team, to play football. It took a lot for me to understand, but you know, I stuck it out because I loved the game. I wanted to play regardless. And you know, I stayed that at that club and that's how I got my my first trials for Northern Ireland. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm thankful I stuck it out and I had a great support network around me. Um you know, my granddad used to drive me to every training session, every game. And without him at that time, because my parents couldn't drive, um, I wouldn't have obviously progressed and continued to play. It's incredible to hear the, the, the sort of sacrifices that you had to make there and just really shows your grit and determination to try and succeed. Your, your drive to get to, to where you are now, just looking back there, it was, it was really a deep insight. Yeah, it's without really thinking the sacrifices, you know, that I guess every every young footballer, every footballer my age now has had to make and the sacrifices we, we continue to make um, is a lot. But I guess at the time, it's I didn't see it as a sacrifice for doing something I love. Um, it was, you know, I was... I guess you can say I was just grateful and I was privileged to have that opportunity to still, I guess, play and to do something I love. So the sacrifices weren't made a big deal of because it was something that I'd happily, I'd still do it all again to, to get to the, the point to where I am now. Yeah, I mean, it's a really phenomenal story that you just kind of tell there. And that's obviously just the, the very beginning of it because you, you started out, I believe, at, at Chestnut Street Ladies, if that's correct. Just tell me how that kind of came about at the beginning. Yeah, so that just rolls on to my first trials. It, it was for Chesley Street Ladies. And I think I got into the under-13s. I, I, play, I played right through to, to women's football and... You know, I was, I then, and I still, I'm very good friends with some of the girls that I first started out with. Um, you know, I played throughout. I think I was playing senior football when I was 14, 15, and it, it was allowed when I was first starting out. Um, and yeah, it was, it was then, I guess it was a 25 minute drive, but it was my local team. Um, I made some great friends and the coaches, put a lot of time and effort into us. And, you know, when my granddad passed away, the coaches then would pick me up and, and take me to training and drop me off. And I was very obviously grateful and thankful for that. Um, and that's how my trials for Northern Ireland actually come about. My coach at the time seemed potential when I was 15. And, um, I mean, it's a funny story now, but she, you know, you go down the route of, born in England, look, Rachel, we're going to try and get you trials for England. Are, are you up for it? And as a young girl, yeah, of course, you know, 
half English, you know, half of my family's Northern Irish. It's an opportunity. Yeah, as a young girl, I, you know, I'd snap your hands off for an opportunity to represent your country. So, you know, my coach put that forward and um, got a response back from, from the England coach at the time. I'll not name names, but um, someone could do a bit scrolling if they looked at the years. And she actually turned around and said that she would not give me trials because I need I needed to be in an RTC, so I needed to be in a more established team, right. um, which meant moving from my local team to, say, a bigger team, Sunderland RTC, Newcastle RTC, and... At the time, I was actually playing a higher level than these RTC teams. Right. I, was playing, I was playing women's football mm. for Chelsea Street. So quite quickly, um, I said, look, I'm not going to move just to get that opportunity. If I'm good enough, it shouldn't matter who I play for. If I'm good enough, then I deserve that opportunity. So... Then she said, obviously, with my granddad recently passing away, um, I don't know whether it was a light bulb moment or not, um, but she was like, look, you know, you could have that opportunity for Northern Ireland. And it was quite daunting at first. My granddad had just passed away. My mum, you know, she was brought up in England, although she was born in Northern Ireland. So it was a kind of a, a leap into the unknown, but a one to where... It was an opportunity, especially if, you know, if that meant carrying on my granddad's name, then it's something that I was fully up for. So, you know, that snowballed quite quickly, had trials, got in, played a little home nations tournament against England, Scotland, Wales, drew against England. I think it was 1-1. And then a week later, I had a letter from England saying they wanted to give me trials. Um, which you know as a 16 year old girl at the time it was a massive but I quite quickly turned it down Um, I'd straight away felt at home representing Northern Ireland and the the hard work the, the attitude everything that surrounds football in Northern Ireland was I just felt at home straight away it was a massive part of me so Yes, I made the decision quite young and then I went through obviously all the age groups with Northern Ireland and, you know, never looked back and never once regretted that decision at all. That's fantastic to hear that sort of chain of events and, you know, that whole Nations tournament you were talking about there, gang, involved in that. How important was that to get that competitive experience from a very young age? Yeah, I think it was massive. You know, I... I've just went from playing for my local team to playing against women every week to then representing my country at under 17 level. It was it was fantastic exposure. It was yet again coming out of my comfort zone, having to to make new friends, but a one to where I mean representing your country is is the greatest honor. So a one that you know I grabbed the opportunity with both hands and I chucked myself into it and loved every second from from under 17s to now. It's it's the greatest honor and a one that will, you know, a one that I'll forever be proud of. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier on in our chat, Rachel, that your loyalty is with Newcastle, but you also said that you had a bit of a spell at Sunderland. How did that go down? <laughs> so, you know, at a young age, you know, Newcastle did have a team, Sunderland had a team, but Sunderland were playing at the highest level in women's football. So, you know, putting all loyalties aside for Newcastle, I wanted, and I still do, I want to play at the highest level I can. I want to push myself against the best players in the country, the best players in the world. So I kind of, I sucked it up and I went to play for Sunderland and I represented Sunderland, I think, for over 10, 10 11 years in, a, in, a, in two stints. And I... <laughs> It's funny, I always wore something black and white to have Newcastle still connected to, to us. Um, but yeah, at the start, my my family being massive Newcastle supporters actually never used to come watch us at first um, <laughs> because it's a massive rivalry. It's, yeah, of course. It's, I mean, you know what, it, what it's like in Scotland with Celtic Rangers, it's... My family kind of thought I was cheating on them, um, representing <laughs> Sunderland. But you know, I had I, I just kind of had to separate that, and I had some fantastic years at Sunderland, and they opened the door for so many more opportunities, and I was able to play and still, you know, I was able to represent Sunderland and play at the highest level in England. So, you know, it was a fantastic time in my career, and and one that. You know, I don't regret either, and it's a one. However, I couldn't scream and shout that I was a Newcastle fan. I had to kind of keep it, keep it on the low because, you know, football fans can go a bit crazy sometimes. So I kept quiet about that. But the day I left Sunderland, I think a few days after, I was, I was a proud Newcastle fan once again, and I could, I could then express my feelings on social media media especially of you know how I live and breathe Newcastle <laughs> and, and your family could speak to you again <laughs> yes <laughs> a very very important uh, distinction there now one of the things that's really interesting from your time at Sunderland is that you had some some really excellent teammates that you played with but one of them was Jill Scott who has obviously represented England so many caps in her career what was it like playing with her and just learning off her experiences yeah, I think, well, me and Jill kind of go further back than Sunderland. I, I actually represented the district with Jill. So I knew Jill from, you know, even a younger age before I joined Sunderland. And Jill, I mean, as you can see on social media, she's still a daft, crazy self. But she was very passionate about playing football. She was, you know, she'd, she'd run the legs off every team we played against. And I think that hard work ethic that Jill always carried, you know, just just relayed on to, to me and the rest of the team. Um, you know, I learned a lot off Jill and, and one of the things that she always pushed was, was our work ethic. So that has stayed within me since our young Sunderland days. And, you know, it's great to see Jill thrive and, you know, from going to Man City and represent England as much as she has, it's great to see. And, you know, it's it's a proud friend moment that someone that 
you played with when you were so young has went on to represent our country and play at such a high level and be mm-hmm. a massive impact on English football. Yeah, she's such a technically gifted player, isn't she? But she's a, a real leader as well on the pitch. Yeah, she is. She's, you know, playing against her now, it's horrible. And, you know, <laughs> she's, because she's very tall and, and she won't mind me saying this, but a bit dangly, she's, you know, you think, you think you've got away from Jill and her leg just, just flies out and she's tackling you. So, yeah, Jill's a very intelligent footballer. She uses her physique and height very well. And, you know, she's still, she's still striving to, to improve and, and be better. And, yeah, that just shows, I guess, I'd like to see everyone who comes out of the Northeast, the hard yeah. work and work ethic that she has and always wants to improve and, and be better. One of the things I was doing when I was kind of researching ahead of this discussion is the fact that you did quite a lot of studying and you went, I think, was to, to college to do a little bit of sports science during your, your time, uh, certainly early on. How beneficial has that been in your journey as a player now? Yeah, like I went to college and university uh, before, you know, the game in England had, had went and it went professional, and I'm really, I'm really glad I, I got to do that and and experience that. So there was along with obviously the education, just a lot of life experience come along with that, and how to now apply myself on and off the pitch. I think is is massive, and yeah. I, I'd say now all the young professionals coming through, if you can get an education alongside that, do that. Um, because as much as we'd like football to last forever, it's not going to. So I'm glad I've got an education to to maybe fall back on um, and just give me maybe a bit more knowledge that I might not have had and the life experience that I might not have had if I just stayed in my comfort zone and, and stayed within the football environment. Um, I'm very lucky that I got to experience that. And, you know, when I graduated, I I lived in Iceland for six, seven months um, and played professional football in Iceland. And without the education side to that, I wouldn't have met the my teammate now for Northern Ireland, Sarah Mack, who got me that opportunity in Iceland. So it was very important and... and it you know it's it's shaped you know the the person I am to this day and mm-hmm. I guess it's made us not take anything for granted as well and always wanting to continue to learn and and not just settle. I'm glad you brought up Iceland because that was actually my next question. I mean, what was that experience like for you playing football and having life experience to quote your words in another country? It was at first, um, you know, the language barrier was was quite difficult, but the, the girl that I went away with um, did understand a lot of Icelandic, so helped me settle in a, a bit easier. But I think the massive thing that I did take out of that is, you know, I was 20, 21, coming out of university. It, I'd lived out at university, but 10 minutes away from my family home, so... I always had the home comfort. If I wanted to go home for a nice home cooked meal, I could do that. Um, 
but Iceland taught me a lot about myself and standing on my own two feet and having to try and understand a different language to to educate myself in a different country and you know look after myself cook for myself having to rely on myself and it really helped me grow as a person mm-hmm. on and off the pitch and um, I, I had a lot more responsibility um, which I, I enjoyed and I, I thrived off and that made me hungry to succeed more on the pitch so it was a great life experience it was a great learning experience for myself and I loved my time in Iceland and yeah I've, I've made some some good friends from that. Is it something that you feel footballers men and women you know in their careers should have a little bit of an opportunity to experience another culture? Yeah I think I think if you do get the chance then then experience it because you can grow as a person, you can potentially learn a different language. And I think five, 10 years ago, the women's game in England, I guess it was bigger in different countries. So, you know, the opportunities, I'd say, jump to it. And now with the women's game growing in England and we've got one of the best leagues in Europe, um, people are less likely to maybe go abroad and experience that. But if the opportunities do come about, you've got the Barcelonas, the Leons, there's, there's so many different cultures that you can potentially experience. You know, I wish I was 10 years younger because I'd love to go and experience different cultures and learn a different language and, and really throw myself into that because of what I brought from living in Iceland for, for the time I did. Um, Yes, definitely the opportunity was was life-changing and, and I really enjoyed it. So I think if girls do get the opportunity that, you know, why not chuck yourself into it and come out of your comfort zone and, and learn different cultures? Now, I'm just trying to correct the pronunciation of the team that you played for in Iceland. Is it Grindavik? Grindavik, What was it? like playing for them and how different was the level they were playing that in comparison to where you were before at Sunderland and obviously for a period of time at Newcastle? Yeah, you know, Grindavik was a little fisherman's town um, out of the main city. So it was a little town. Everyone knew each other. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was great. It was a great, it was a great experience. But on the football side of things, you know, I thought at the time, I was a big, strong girl. Don't really get pushed off the ball much. I'm quite powerful. <laughs> um, I learned quite quickly that I was the complete opposite in Iceland. I was, I was small. I was quite weak compared to, to the girls that had experienced full-time football, maybe for longer than myself. But I just felt like the girls in Iceland at the time were were just born different. I was like, wow, these girls are so strong. They're so fit. They're everything that I wanted to be. Um, and I thought to myself, wow, this is a full-time environment. This is what you can be like if, mm-hmm. you know, you, you stay in that and you experience full-time football. This is the level you can be at. So at first it was a massive shock and it's something that I was adjusting to um, throughout my time in Iceland, but I did, 
when I first went there, I found it really difficult to to adjust to the pace of the game, to to the physicality and the overall or the overall league. And obviously, coming back to play in the UK now after your time in Iceland, Rachel, you must have taken so much from your experience there and adapt them to help develop and improve your own game. Yeah, I just think what the main thing I took away was the hunger to to strive to to stay at a high level, to have more opportunities for myself. You know, I, I went back to Sunderland and we were still part-time and, you know, it transitioned to semi-professional, professional, but I just think it gave me the hunger to to become even better, to to push limits, to try and, you know, push myself to hit a level that I never thought I could. And I never thought I'd be there experience full-time football in England. So, you know, having that opportunity first off at Sunderland was, was fantastic. And when Sunderland then did revert back to part-time due to the men's club cutting the funding, it was devastating, but I found an opportunity, which I then moved to Reading. So I moved, you know, the other end of the country because I was hungry to stay at that level and I've tasted full-time football and I wanted to, to continue at that. So it was a massive risk. You know, I, I quit my full-time nine to five secure job to become full-time, but it's something that I don't regret. It's something that I've dreamt of as, as a little girl growing up. And it's something that, you know, I pinch myself with every day and I'm still grateful that I'm still able to have the opportunity to do so. We, we talked earlier on about you having to play for Sunderland, but you also did have a period of time at Newcastle as well before you went to Iceland. That must have been great to play for your supported team and, and a hometown team. Yes, it was. And, you know, when I joined Newcastle, it was it was a tough time for myself. I was just coming back from injury. And I just got, to, I kind of got told not to play football again when I was 16, 17 with, with my knee injuries. And, so joining Newcastle was was just through a close friend and getting kind of my health back on track. And because Newcastle were in a lower league, you know, she was it was less less pressure. Just come and enjoy the game. Just just try and get the love back. Get your get your health and fitness back. So you know, I had some fantastic times at Newcastle with some of my best friends, and it was a great honour wearing the shirt and. I've still got one of my shirts that I actually played in um, back at my parents' home in Newcastle. So, yeah, I loved it. And it it got it got the love back playing for my local team, playing for a team that I supported as a little girl. Um, it got my love back to, to want to, you know, fight injury, get myself mm-hmm. in a better shape and really, really come back and try to attempt to play at a high level again. You should get Alan Shearer to sign that Newcastle shirt you have. That would be worth so much. I'm absolutely sure about that. Let's talk about your time at Reading because you mentioned there about the sacrifices that you made to move in uh, to the full-time game. What was that experience like at Reading? Yeah, it was, at first, it well, it was excitement that I was still able to play full-time at a professional club. Um, but then again, it was moving to the other side of the country. It was moving down the country. It was, you know, 
having nowhere to live at first, having to sort that all out myself. You know, I was fortunate in Iceland that the clubhouse was there, everything like that was sorted. But for Reading, I had to find my my own place to live. And, you know, I'm going to say women, money in the women's game, especially at that time, you know, I'd left a very well-paid job to move down the country. And I thought at one point, how am I going to get from month to month? But it's something that, you know, I, I sacrificed and I wanted to do because I wanted to still play at a high level. And when I first went to Reading, um, all the girls having just turned full-time, it was very much like, playing in the Sunderland team. They were a close-knit close team, very much like a little family. So I felt at home straight away. Um, and I really enjoyed um, my time when I was there. And yes, experiencing full-time football, playing in the top league, it was it was hard being away from family. Um, you know, I couldn't get home very often, but I made some very good friends at Reading and... Um, you know, I, I learned a lot. The coaches were fantastic coaches and it helped, it developed me a lot as, as a player on and off the pitch. And obviously we were there for a couple of years and you were talked a lot earlier on about how the WSL back then was sort of just sort of building up and other countries were, you know, kind of at the forefront of the women's game. Now is the way the women's league has now developed and you were obviously a big part of that sort of setup at Reading. What have you noticed about its gradual improvement over time in the women's league? I think, you know, the fact that everyone's professional now is fantastic. But I think, you know, on and off the pitch, I think off the pitch, clubs have really invested in training grounds for the girls and the treatment off the pitch and not just what you do on a Sunday. I think that's really massive. I think the whole treatment and whether it be a clubhouse, you know, the girls are getting looked after a lot more. And I think that's really brought the game on, on the pitch. I think the recovery is massive in the women's game. The mental, the mental health side of things is, is bigger than, you know, a lot of things that happen happens off the pitch. And yes. I, think, I think clubs are slowly getting them things in place and it's really just up the level on on the pitch and it, it's attracted players, you know, worldwide, which is on the pitch helped the the quality. It's just went up a, a different level and, it, you know, it's it's fantastic to see. And it's great to see it being advertised on Sky Sports. I think Sky Sports have at least one, if not two, WSL games every weekend, which I think is absolutely fantastic. And the BBC have their own highlights programme, which I think is excellent too. Yeah, and, you know, and it's it's been a long time coming, for the likes of Sky Sports and the BBC to really capture and get a hold of, of women's football. And I think I did see yesterday that the I haven't got the the figures, but the figures for the women's game, even over this last season, has rocketed. And I yeah. think that just shows the people actually do want to watch women's football and the audiences are are grown, you know, month to month, not even year to year. And even in the championship with Liverpool, the the attendances are grown and you know Barclays are 
are sponsoring the championship next year. So it, it's the leagues are expanding, and you know you're not just focusing on the WSL. The standard across, I guess, the both league, both leagues now is is going from strength to strength, and you know that all the sponsors that are coming with that is fantastic to see because there's the potential in the women's game is massive and the figures coming out are just showing that. So, I mean, we all knew that people wanted to watch women's football, but I think that is just proving it now because you almost have to see it to believe it. So the figures coming out now, people are, none of us are shocked, but you know, it, it is great to see. I mean, I followed the women's game here in Scotland and we have our own highlight show on a Monday night and we have live streams on the Sundays. And, you know, obviously a lot of talk is on Glasgow City, Rangers women, Celtic women. But it's good to always see some of the other teams as well. Aberdeen are a very ambitious club. You've got Motherwell under Leanne Crichton are a very ambitious club as well. And even in the Northern Irish game, you see Glen Torren women being very good. Cliftonville, we had that really good battle last season for the Women's Premiership. It's good to see the women's game evolving, not just in England, but in other countries across the UK too. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I've got a few, a few of my friends that play in Scotland and like play for Rangers, Glasgow City and the they're experiencing full-time football now, which is great and which would have been unheard of a couple of years ago. So hopefully more teams in, in the Scottish Women's League can follow suit and you haven't just got to say the Glasgow City's qualifying for the Champions League. It, hopefully the leagues get more competitive, which is, is what we want. And for, for the game in Northern Ireland, I think with kind of what the Northern Ireland women's team has achieved over this last two years. It's really the, the it's one. Ca- it's, it's captured the imagination, hasn't it? Yes, it, it has. It's captured the imagination. And, you know, we play at Seaview now and it's sold out. And two years ago, that would have been unheard of. And I think the women's game in Northern Ireland has has benefited massively off what we have achieved as, as a country. And, you know, whether it be attendances, whether it be, you know, the clubs investing more in the women's team on and off the pitch, it's it's going from strength to strength. And, you know, if we have to drive that as the national team, then so be it. You know, in Scotland, you know, the men's clubs are just doing that because the Scotland women's team has have been successful for, you know, a number of years. But in Northern Ireland now, it's, it's really... We are driving it, but we're going to continue to. So we've got to a level now to where we won't step, we won't settle, and um, we want to continue to raise standards. And you know, as a national team, if we're being successful, it's only going to benefit the the leagues in Northern Ireland, and it's only going to make them more competitive. It's only going to, I guess, raise the profile of the girls and of the league. And you know, I know that games are being streamed on the BBC and it's just fantastic exposure and it's fantastic to see the women's game grown in Scotland, in Northern Ireland and as a whole off obviously what um, clubs are trying to do and, and want to do because of the movement of women's the women's and, game. And you mentioned there about Seaview as well. And of course, you girls have had the chance to play at Larne in Ver Park um, recently and obviously as well. At the National Stadium at Windsor Park, I mean, it's just fantastic. I mean, could you have imagined a few years ago, Northern Irish women's team getting the opportunity to play at Windsor Park? It's just fantastic, the journey that 
you girls have been on to get to this stage. And hope it continues, by the way. Yeah, you know, I mean, first and foremost, I do hope it continues. Um, because, yeah, I hope that the younger generation are really captured by what they are seeing now and really, you know, want to grow up and want to be a part of this. And, you know, hopefully long may it continue. But, yeah, it was it was actually announced today that in our World Cup qualifier against um, England in April that we're, we're going to play that at Windsor Park. And, I mean, that, like you said, a couple of years ago would have been unheard of. But I think, you know, every home game now, the, the need and the want for for tickets and for everyone who wants to come to our game is, is massive. And, you know, especially the England game, it's going to be the last competitive game before we go away to the European Championships. And I hope we can sell out Windsor. It would be fantastic for the women's game in Northern Ireland. It'd be fantastic for us as players to experience that before going away to the Championships. And, I hope we can create a hostile environment to where England don't want to play in front of our fans. And, you know, I hope the support is there. And actually, I know the support will be there. And the fact we're playing at Windsor is because the support is there. And, yeah, it's fantastic to, to obviously see that growth in such a short space of time. What a tremendous selling uh, of this game that you've done there, Rachel. People, if you're listed, if you're in Northern Ireland, go and get a ticket to go and see the yeah. girls play for that match against England because I here in Scotland will certainly be tuning in for that. I think it'll be an absolute barnstormer for sure. Now, obviously, you're currently at Liverpool, Rachel. Uh, first of all, how did the move come about? And secondly, how are you settling into life with Merseyside? Yeah, um, I love Liverpool. Um, it really reminds us of Newcastle, of home. So, you know, I've settled in really well and it's it's a place that I could see myself, you know, potentially staying for a number of years. And, you know, how it's come about was quite a quite a difficult time in my career. Um, you know, I was at Redden at the time and I remember going into pre-season, almost completed pre-season and I, I wasn't really featuring much in the team and I didn't know why, you know, it's, I felt like I was conditioned well and in pre-season to, to really get your sharpness, you need to play games. And I remember out of the home midfielders, I'd, I'd played the less minutes in the team. And I thought, you know, for one, I kind of just had to ask the question why, you know, um, it's, I'm an experienced player Um, you know, I'm not a young kid coming through. I want to play. I feel like I'm good enough to play in this team. So I spoke to the manager and, you know, I I wouldn't really say I got a, I got a straight answer back, um, but I got the good feeling that I wasn't going to feature that season for one reason or another. So it was actually the last pre-season game against Brighton and, I got the last five minutes, I think, um, and the season was starting a week and a half later. I was actually going away with Northern Ireland that next day. We had games coming up. Um, you know, so I spoke to my agent and I just said, look, it was the start of the, the European qualifiers for Northern Ireland, which you yes. know yourself now is, is, you know, we've made history. It's, I had a fantastic campaign. Um and I just said to myself, 
I've got a massive year coming up. I need I need to be playing football. Um, <clears throat> so my agent made a few phone calls and Tottenham Hotspur just being promoted. They were looking for experience. They were, you know, looking, I guess, for for experienced players to to get in. So for me, it was it was no it was a no-brainer. And I went on loan and a lot of people said it was a massive risk at the time going to a team that were tipped for relegation. Um, but for me, I wanted to go, I wanted to be challenged and I wanted to know that I had an opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I went and I hit the ground running. Um, I think I scored a couple of games, I think on my sec- second game in and I was thriving. I was playing some very good football. I was up for players of the week, player of the month. I think I got nominated for player of the um, season, kind of going from half a season in the season, half a season that I had at Reading. And mm-hmm. I finished the season strong the season before at Reading. So, you know, everything was going fantastically well. And people were then asking the question, why did Reading let you go? And, you know, I still say to this day, you know, it's football. At the time, it was it was quite tough mentally to, I guess, not be wanted. Yeah. But for me, I had to stay mentally strong and just maybe look at Tottenham Hotspur as a, as a new opportunity, a new challenge. And, you know, I played, it was coming up to the half a season with Spurs and loved my time. Loved the coaches, loved the the whole team, and I heard that Liverpool had, had come in to to kind of take me on a permanent, um, and that's if I'm honest, it was a really really tough decision because I was loving life at Spurs so much, but at the stage of my career, I needed to think off the pitch as well as on the pitch. Yeah, Liverpool, very established club potentially have an opportunity to move closer to home. And for me, that was kind of an opportunity that I, I couldn't say no to. Yeah. Um, financially, you know, I couldn't buy a house in London at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And I don't think I could have still if I was there now. Um, <laughs> so taking all that into consideration as well as on the pitch, um, and it was probably the first time in my career that, I actually thought of off the pitch as well as on it. Mm-hmm. Um, spoke to the Spurs staff, were very honest and open and all the players. And, you know, it was, I guess it was the best goodbye that I've ever had. You know, they fully supported me in, in my decision and, and wished me well. And, um, yeah, then, you know, I knew I was not going back to Redden after that loan spell and, yeah, I moved up to Merseyside and, you know, I've had some highs and lows, but I've, I've loved every second of, of pulling on the Liverpool shirt. And, and the Liverpool girls are, are going very well at the moment. I believe that you're still side top of the table. Yeah, we are, um, Touchwood. But we're having a, we're having a fantastic season. Um, Matt Beard's come in and he's, he's really, he's brought some fantastic players in with him. He's brought some fantastic staff and, we go. We are going really well as a as a squad. It's a it's a very it's probably the most competitive squad I've ever been in for the quality of players that we've got. And 
we've got good momentum with us at the minute and I mean long may it continue and I, I hope it serves us well for the for the rest of the season. I've got a couple of questions from people who, who know you uh, from other podcasts. One of them is from Andy Bell, who does the Spirit of uh, 2016 podcast. He says, do you think that your role will change over the next few years and you can maybe go deeper into the midfield? He starts seeing you playing in a two a lot for Liverpool. You know, the fact that Andy said couple of years is is great because I'd love to still be playing football in a couple of years. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm not getting any younger, but... Yes, I mean, Andy might not know the kind of the start of my career, but I actually started my career as a holding midfielder. Right. Um, so, yes, definitely. I could, you know, as I am getting older, um, I still feel like I'm just as sharp intelligence-wise. So I could definitely play a deeper role. Um, I actually joke with the girls that I'd be a fantastic centre-half. Because I mean, I can head a, I can head a ball, you know. I'd like to say that's a massive strong point of mine, um, <laughs> and I feel like I can read the game quite well. And um, you know, technically, I'm technically you know okay. I wouldn't say I'm the most technically gifted, but um, yeah, I feel like I can read the game well. So to allow myself to continue to play, if someone said to me, you know, tomorrow. Would you go centre-half if it meant you played another two years? Absolutely. <laughs> well, Andy, I hope that answers your question. And, <laughs> and uh, obviously, uh, I have Lauren McCann, who's very much involved with the show as well. Obviously, big Liverpool fan as well. She yeah. kind of goes on a little bit. We talked a little bit about the fact that you are obviously being coached by Matt Beard at Liverpool. She just wants to know how is the season gone and what's he done to make Liverpool very good so far in the in the uh, WSL too? Yeah, I think I think Matt coming in, um, he set standards from from day one. Um, Matt has got us very well organised and well drilled, and uh, you know it, it's cliche, but we are a massive family. You know, if if I'm not playing, if I'm playing as much as I want to play, I'll support whoever is playing. If they at that time are playing better, you've you've kind of got to take that as as a team and. You know, we're very much a, a big squad, a big family, and it's it's fair across the board. We are all competitive with each other, and I really think Matt has just brought us closer together. Um, he's brought some fantastic human beings in, and, you know, that's players as well as staff. And we all ultimately want the same thing. Um, at the end of the season, we want to get promoted. We've got the same drive, the same mentality. We push each other in training every day. And Matt is the top of that. Matt has set the standards and he doesn't let the standards slip in training. Um, it doesn't matter who we play. You know, we played Lincoln in the FA Cup and you could say, oh, Lincoln, couple of leagues below. You could take your foot off the gas Um I think that was actually a harder training week. We were, things were drilled into us even, even more so. And it was, don't switch off. Don't take anything for granted. Stay focused. Um, and that's what we are doing at the minute. We're staying focused. We, we aren't getting ahead of ourselves. We, yes, we're top of the league, but I know flipped, you know, being an underdog for Northern Ireland for most of my career you always want to beat the best. So I know that every team that we play, 
at the minute raise their game in playing us. So with that, we need to be even better. We need to hold higher standards of ourselves. We need to train harder. We need to work harder than any other team. And we need to earn the right to play first yeah. and foremost. And I think that's really, we've continued to do that um, every game this season. And we will going into our game Sunday. We're, we're very focused with that. So, yeah, I just think we, we're very focused and we are keeping our feet on the ground and not getting carried carried away with ourselves. Um, obviously, you know, you've had some great uh, set times at Liverpool so far. Who's out of the teammates that you've played with really has stood out as well uh, looking at the team so far? I think throughout my time at Liverpool, um, I've got to say the captain, Neve Fahey, she, you know, the way she, She's an ultimate professional. I think she, for any young girl growing up, um, the way she conducts herself, the way she looks after herself on and off the pitch and the way she leads, by example, every day in training, um, off the pitch, in in the training, in the training grounds. Um, you know, it's someone that I look up to. It's someone that, you know, I'm vice captain, but it's someone that I strive to to raise my standards up to Neves every day. And she she really pushes pushes the team on and leading, whether that be vocally or just just the way she conducts herself. So yep. she's been a, she's been a big impact to to me, you know, expressing myself at Liverpool, being a leader and you know continuing to to drive standards daily. Yeah, fantastic. And long may Liverpool's success continue so far in the season. And I hope you guys do come up to the, the WSLB, a phenomenal story. Let's move on to talk about Northern Ireland because, you know, a big part of my chat to you and, and discussion with yourself is to talk about the Northern Irish women and the journey that you girls have been on. How have you, when you assess the journey that Northern Ireland have been on, did you ever think that you would get to, as we had a this, the 9th of February, that Northern Ireland would be playing in the European Championships? I'm, I'm no, no. I think if you'd have asked me that three years ago, I'd still say no. I'd say, you know, maybe the, the younger generation coming through will have a better chance than myself. Um, but no, it's it's actually I'm going to say a cliche again. It's it's actually what dreams are made of, and I think there's a short film on YouTube called A New Dream. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, that Northern Ireland put together. A, you know, about our journey and it actually is, you know, I could pinch myself because I actually sitting here still can't believe that, you know, fingers crossed all be well that I get, I could potentially be selected to play for my country in a major tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just fantastic that, to actually even speak those words and I didn't think it was going to be possible. Um you know, I actually was slightly contemplating retiring international football a couple of years ago because it was that it was that tough, and, <laughs> and I just thought, do I concentrate more on club football? And I mean, at the end of the day, I didn't retire because I love playing for Northern Ireland that much. You'd actually have to, someone needs to retire me. Um, <laughs> stop, stop me playing. Um, 
but no, I just, I think I've went through some very, very tough times with Northern Ireland. I've been on the end of some very, very heavy defeats. Mm-hmm. Ones that can knock you as a footballer, you know, mentally, why are we doing this? Why do you pull on the shirt? But ultimately it's for the love and the passion that we all have and all the sacrifices that we've made as, as a squad. Um, I'm going to say we deserve this opportunity as, as a country, as a nation to, you know, everything hasn't been handed to us. We've had to really, really work our backsides off to get to where we are today. And even mm-hmm. sitting here now, we aren't just settling. Um, we are striving and myself off the pitch with the staff and the players we are going to continue to drive standards to where this isn't the only major tournament we qualify for. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about the Northern Ireland's women's journey is that, you know, people like Alfie Wiley really set things in motion in the early beginnings, didn't they? And, you know, it's, it's great to see how that journey has evolved over time. What was How big an influence was he at the beginning? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll always be grateful to Alfie for giving me my first cap for Northern Ireland um, and giving me many caps for Northern Ireland. You know, Alfie, at the start, put the women's game back on the map in Northern Ireland. In 2005, we we got reformed as a, as a women's team um, to where, I think, 2005, we played our first World Cup qualifier for, I'm going to say, a number of years. Um, so Alfie Wiley really pushed in making that happen. Um, Alfie gave me, as well as a lot of the girls that are still in the squad now, the debuts when, you know, I played for the women's senior team when I was 16. So mm. put that trust in such a young a young girl, um, you know, I'll always be grateful for. And Alfie did fight a lot to for us to just exist. So I think a lot of the girls um, will always be grateful for that and for Alfie continuing to push to for us to actually have a team. Yeah, it's a phenomenal. His own story and Michael Clark's own podcast does tailor uh, that discussion with uh, Alfie. So do go and check out that. I think that's a really, really interesting story. Kenny Shields comes into the setup, Rachel, at Northern Ireland's Women. What has he done to elevate Northern Irish women's sport even further? I mean, it's hard to actually just put into words what Kenny what Kenny has done for like the whole nation. But I think Kenny come in having a lot of experience and a, a lot of knowledge in the game, and Kenny with Dean and the coaching staff, they come in almost with a different belief um, that these bigger nations that we're going to come up against. You know, in the past, it was, can we keep the score down? You know, can we can we pinch a draw? Can, can we, can a miracle happen? Um, whereas Kenny just brought a different mentality in, in a fresh mentality into, into the setup and the one that, you know, all the hard work that had been that had been put into the setup up until then, Kenny come in and just play football and be brave, mm-hmm. and 
hearing those words as a footballer in for Northern Ireland in Norway, we played the first game against Norway and we got hammered 6 0. And I was going, play football, be brave, but we've just been absolutely hammered off Norway. Yeah. You know, is this man crazy? Like, is this man crazy? You know what? And we then had more training sessions. We worked on patterns of play and we then went to Wales a few days later and played Wales off the park, a team that were also expected to, to wipe the floor of us, who had full-time professionals in the game, who had people who were playing all over the world, who had players playing for Chelsea, massive teams in the women's game. And we played them off the park. And then I thought, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. In what Kenny said is, make mistakes, continue to make mistakes. That's the only way that we are going to get better as a team. And yeah, we made mistakes against Norway. We made mistakes against Wales. Well, we made mistakes against Norway, but then we were still brave against Wales and made less mistakes. So quite quickly, you could see the belief in the squad and a kind of, you know, a way of playing and in a, a new identity within within the squad was was forming and you know we we learned so much in the first Norway game that ultimately led to us qualifying yeah because of making mistakes of things going wrong but continuing to be brave and enjoy playing the game we loved. And Kenny didn't need to say, girls, work hard, fight for each other, you know, jump in front of balls for each other, like almost die for each other. He didn't need to say that because we all we had that foundation already. Mm-hmm. We just needed fine-tuned. And Kenny brought that 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 edge to to the squad, to yes. a squad that for five, ten years weren't really doing anything in qualifications who were beating teams that we should have been beat, mm-hmm. beaten, but we're maybe sometimes getting close to the, the bigger teams, but not getting close enough. You know, Kenny just brought that extra edge to that squad and, you know, it all clicked into place. And let's talk about that, um, the key games that got you girls to the Euros, that double header against Ukraine. Um, I watched both uh, of those matches, um, the away game first, then, of course, the whole match at Seaview. Just talk to me, Rachel, about your emotions in the away game, because it was a bit bittersweet for you, wasn't it? Because you got the opening goal in the game, and then you had yeah. to go off with an injury. Just talk to me a little bit about your emotions that night. I mean, I was... I remember, I remember the last couple of games to actually get into the playoffs. And I've never been so nervous in my whole entire life, but that Ukraine first playoff, that first leg away from home, I felt calm. I felt confident. You know, we'd worked on how we were going to play and how we were going to set up and set traps. So the first goal that we actually scored against Ukraine, that, that I scored, it wasn't, it wasn't luck. You know, we actually worked on 
getting traps and we worked on that. So it wasn't a coincidence that I've intercepted the ball and scored. It was something that we worked on. So when it actually come about and it happened, it was confidence, it was belief, it was we're going to win this game. Because it's quite funny that the director actually missed your goal and live play. Do people still tell you about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we've got loads of different angles about that now. But, yeah, we'll laugh about it. And, you know, I, I laughed at first and I was like, oh, it was a world of a goal. It was fantastic. <laughs> well, really, it's just a tap in. But, um, you know, there, there's a bit of fun with that. But... I mean, it doesn't matter how you score. It's, it, you're scoring for your country. Every, every goal is is just as good as the the last. But I think, you know, that quickly turned in, into heartbreak, I guess. Um, you know, the, the pride and the honour that I get putting on the shirt for Northern Ireland, I never want to come off. You know, you'd have to drag us off the pitch and to, I guess... At the time, I didn't know the extent of the injury. Mm-hmm. You know, I've just thought my ankle is, is I've twisted my ankle. You know, I can play on. And I think I played on for five minutes. And I remember one thing I didn't want to do was let the girls down. And yeah. Ukraine had a had a free kick. And I remember saying to Sarah Mack, Sarah, you're going to have to mark the girl. I don't think I can jump for the header. And... That kind of was a switch of I'm going to let the girls down because I can't I can't fulfill my job on the pitch. So I'm gonna to have to come off because I don't want to let the girls down. Um and you know I come off, which I was devastated. You know, I think there's a, a, a video in you know the Ukraine broadcasters are recording me coming off the pitch crying and in yeah. the stands crying and you know, the, the emotion quickly switched to how can I support the girls in the stands? I didn't know the extent of my injury. I'm going to be okay for the second leg. I'm just going to shout as loud as I can and be the girls' biggest motivation yeah. off the pitch. And I've got the full belief that we're going to get this game over the line, which mm-hmm. we did. Someone scored a fantastic goal and, you know, it was half time. Which yeah. we were winning at half time, and we were what we said was we want to go home back to Belfast for something to fight for. Yeah. And we had that opportunity. And that second leg at Seaview, I mean, what a what a game it was. I mean, Marissa Callahan, big game player for the big occasion, scores the opening goal. And then the second goal, uh Nadine Caldwell getting the second goal. What I just find so brilliant about the goal, maybe it's at Nadine's goal. Nadine scores a good goal. It's a great moment for Northern Ireland. It's your celebration with the crutches. <laughs> I mean, that is just sensational. I think it's Thomas Kane in commentary that mentions that very vividly. Did you know what you were doing at that point? <laughs> no, and the fact that maybe cameras were, were on me, um, I was expecting to maybe get wrong off physios back in Liverpool for, for <laughs> out, but I think they've let us off by you know the importance of the game um, and it was it was it was one of the best moments of my life so you know jumping around I knew I broke my leg I was in a boot I thought I can't do 
much more damage than my legs <laughs> go. You know, how, how bad can it be? But no, I think if if I was sitting here now saying I didn't celebrate, I'd, I'd have regretted it for the rest of my life. So I celebrated every tackle, every kick. You know, Marissa scoring that, you know, fantastic to, to get onto our own, own flick on and Nadine to be as composed and, you know, clinic, like she was so composed. She sat the keeper down and to just, to just slot it in, you know, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. It was, it was the worst 90 minutes of my life because if anyone had a heart rate monitor on, on me at that point, it was, I was nearly having a heart attack at times just because I guess I just felt helpless. I was confident in the girls, but yeah. I don't like watching football. I like playing. Um, so yeah, the celebrations, you know, speak for itself. There's loads of videos of, you know, me dancing on crutches and all this, but I don't regret any of it. It was a fantastic moment and one of the best moments of, of my life. And the great thing about the Northern Ireland girls squad, Rachel, is the mix of youth and experience. You know, there's people in the Northern Irish Women's Premiership involved with that. There's obviously... You girls playing in the WSL and the and the setup there. There's people in the Scottish League as well, but there's no big egos. Everybody's in it to try and do their best for the team, and it really is exemplified by people like Julie Nelson, who you know as captain at the back. You know, so so solid. Ashley Hutton as well. Big game players. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the one thing to where you know I go back to when I was a little sixteen year old girl. The hard work, the the fight and togetherness we have for each other. It doesn't matter if you're playing in the WSL, the Championship, the Scottish League, the Northern Irish League. We come together and we are actually, we are so strong as one. And because we have all these hurdles to overcome, the girls go to work nine or five. You know, I'm very fortunate to wear football is my job right now. We come in together and we are all fighting for the same cause. We're, we are all on the same level. We are all representing our country and it just brings us together. And I think that's yeah. what makes us so strong and so close knit that we have the Julies, the Ashes at the back who, who go to work and still sacrifice so much training to play for the country. And then we have like people who are going into hospitals. We have the, the younger girls who are traveling to Scotland to become full-time professionals mm-hmm. who are taking those risks still so young. And, you know, for myself, Simone, Sarah McFadden based, Kira, Raf, I could go on based in England to, to try and play at the he- ha- highest level in England. Mm-hmm. Together, when we all come together, we are so strong and we all lift each other, whatever level we're playing at. And I think that shows, you know, recently on the pitch, like on and off the pitch, we are so together and we fight for each other, no matter what background, what level, we all bring each other up to the same level and even higher. And we push ourselves to be even better. And I think that that's what makes us so close. The fact that, the different backgrounds we we've got collective you know we'll come together and we're so strong 
And I love some of the superstitions that you girls have, particularly the, the coffee shots superstition that you guys have. I've seen it a couple of times on people's Instagrams. How did that kind of come about? Oh, I mean, I know you're speaking to Simone very soon, and I think it might have been in Turkey. Um, you know, just before one of the games, we quite like coffee, and we were like, oh, we'll just have a little espresso shot. And... I think we then won or we played very well. We did win. If we played very well, we would have won. And then we just continued to do it. And, you know, we've done it for years now. And even now, the Northern Ireland staff members actually, you know, all right, girls, we've got, we've ordered the coffee. We've ordered your shots just before we leave for a game. For a game. So, there's so many people jumped in now and, you know, have so many numbers and we we stand together with cheers, our little espresso shot. And it's a superstition that is going to stay because it's... It's clearly working. Successful. We've been successful with it. So, I mean, clearly it's working and it, it, it's give us that extra edge to them yeah. when we go and play. So we're definitely, it's definitely sticking around. Um, but yeah, we're... As footballers, we're very super superstitious and if something works once, then we'll have to keep it and that did, so it's staying. Does Kenny have one? <laughs> he doesn't know. I don't think Kenny would need the coffee shop. <laughs> it's just players at the minute. Um, maybe in the future the staff might, might come into that, but it's normally just the girls. Absolutely. I think it could catch on. Um, Rachel, we're gonna we're wrapping this up very shortly. I've got a couple of questions to ask you. My penultimate question is obviously you received an award from Jurgen Klopp last year. What a phenomenal moment that must have been, because Jurgen is an absolute hero of football, not just Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, he is. And you know, I was at the men's training ground and the guys that flew from Northern Ireland, and I thought we were just doing a, you know, a look back at the year for Northern Ireland because it had been so historical and I thought okay you know the the investment in the women's game and I thought they're really taking us seriously to to fly over and just kind of talk about the year and so I was just chatting away I heard the door go behind us and you know there's Jürgen standing there with his massive smile holding this award and I kind of half looked at the award at first um, because I was like, that's Jürgen Klopp. Um, I got quite, you know, emotional. You know, it was, it, was, it was a special moment that, you know, Liverpool's manager is presenting me with BBC Northern Ireland Sports Personality of the Year. Um, I just think it was fantastic for a club perspective that he wanted to to hand me that award and it just showed kind of the togetherness of the, of the whole club um but you know for me on the award yes it's an individual award but it's for what the team have have ultimately achieved over this this last couple of years and you know I'll always be thankful um for my teammates for that but yeah it, it was fantastic and I was in shock. I was overwhelmed. I was took back, but it was, yeah, a, a fantastic end to the year for myself personally. Absolutely. I thought it was tremendous and richly deserved, Rachel. So well done again. We're, we're very much at the end of the show. Last question for you. Austria, Norway and England 
at Euro 2022. How excited are you, hopefully, to be taking part in the tournament? You know, I'm really excited. Touch and wood again. Um, yeah, if if I get selected for that, it's it's going to overtake qualifying for a major tournament to, I think, walk out and represent Northern Ireland in a major tournament, creating history to to do that. It's everything that I've wanted growing up dreaming as a little girl and it's everything that I want every young girl in Northern Ireland to grow up and want to do want to represent Northern Ireland want to play in a major tournament um, I can't wait I mean the fact that all three games are played in Southampton is going to be yeah. fantastic hopefully for the support coming over from Northern Ireland but it's just going to be a historical moment and I mean we've just got exciting times ahead and I can't wait to hopefully be part of it 7th of July 2022 hopefully a very excited day for everybody fingers crossed I really want to wish you all the very best in the uh, closing business end of the WSL season Rachel all the very best for everyone at Liverpool Congratulations again on a fantastic 2021. I hope 2022 is going to be just as good, not just for you, but for Northern Ireland as a whole. And thank you so much for coming on my show to talk about your journey so far, your career so far. I hope there's many more memories ahead for you. All the best. Thank you. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91 on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night.